Adam Moore. I'm an attorney at NIFTI, and I'm here with the co-chairs of the DASNI Ethics Committee, Timothy Kohler from Richmond. He's the executive ADA there, and Michael Kaluza, who's the chief assistant district attorney from Oneida County. And the concept today that we are going to discuss is the concept of your credibility being your currency. And what does that mean as 2017 comes to a close? We've been discussing the recent headlines that we're seeing from around New York and the rest of the United States about social media and technology and communication and what does that mean for you as a prosecutor. So I guess, Tim and Mike, if you could you know, take us through sort of some initial thoughts on, as we leave 2017, what are some takeaways about credibility, communication, and how does that impact our listeners? I think one of the takeaways clearly is that there continues to exist a disconnect between those uh, verbal actions that are done in a public setting and those that are done electronically, online. I think one of the most important things for a young assistant DA to realize is that everything, and I do mean everything that they do electronically, they do online or they do through social media, is ultimately public record in one way or another, and that they should measure very carefully the content of their communications and the manner in which uh, particular communications are transmitted. And I'm talking now, of course, about texting, social media, emails, various other types of communications that might arise during the course of discharging your duties as an assistant DA. Hey, Mike, have you found with the assistants that you are supervising, and even just prosecutors in the larger community in New York State, that we sometimes can forget that what we are texting in the privacy of our home or of our office, that people can lapse into this false sense of security that since nobody is watching us typing it, that the only person who will see that at any time in the future is the recipient, and that people say things that perhaps they might regret later on. Have you found Ab- that? Absolutely. The, you know, there, there was an old rule of thumb that when you were really upset, write a letter, write an angry letter, and don't slip it into the mailbox. Put it in a drawer and sleep on it for a day or two, and then read the letter again and address the issue of whether or not you really want to send it. And invariably, you'll find that your cooler head prevails and you won't send it. And that rule of thumb kind of falls by the wayside when the transmittal, the mailing of the communication is instantaneous. That's why it's it's important to really step away from the keyboard when you are frustrated or you want to express your dissatisfaction to another person, particularly within the context of your job, and really think about what you want to say and the way that you want to say it. You need to allow for a little bit of a cooling off period, and very often that's not done. The other thing that is unfortunately true is that there are occasions when people acting emotionally and within the context of an angry rant get themselves in trouble. But the other major area where people get themselves in trouble for what they say relates to when they're trying to be funny. Uh, Very often things that are said in the spirit of joking around wind up being offensive or inappropriate or in some way bringing discredit upon the person making the communication and therefore vicariously upon their office. And those are two trouble areas. 
the need to be funny and also the need to vent anger. So whereas in years past, uh, you know, the, the snail mail and putting the letter away was a way to an internal check on that now because of the instantaneous nature of communications becomes an even greater hazard because there's a greater opportunity to act impulsively on your communications. And Mike, as a follow-up to that, you know, when people sort of are in a more relaxed setting after court or on the weekend when they're texting or sending something on Facebook or some other social media platform and acting in that sort of off-campus atmosphere, maybe saying things about colleagues in the office, judges that they appear in front of, defense attorneys, and there are First Amendment rights that we all have as citizens of the United States, but what we have to remember as assistant district attorneys is that things that we say that bring disrepute to the reputation of the office that we work in and the district attorney that we serve under may impact negatively on the operation of the office and that assistant DA's future effectiveness on cases with members of the bench bar or the police departments that you interact with. So I think the rules of engagement on proper decorum and what you should or shouldn't say are essentially the same today as they were years ago. But to follow up on your comment about the instantaneous nature of communication and the fact that it's there forever and it can be forwarded, I think we have to be even more circumspect about applying those rules of good judgment and recognizing that we could put ourselves in some personal peril. An assistant can put him or herself in professional peril. And conceivably, if the topic of conversation is about a case, put a prosecution in peril. And of course, nobody wants to do that. So I think that those are just some words to the wise that you're sharing with the audience today. I think it's important for all of us to remember that we are held to a higher standard, and that is as it should be. You know, there's that old quote, to whom much is given, much is expected. That's so true of our position, especially. Even things that aren't in and of themselves unethical or offensive, you may find creeping into your speech, which don't go over well with the general public. For example, it wasn't that long ago that you would hear prosecutors sometimes say, upon receiving a favorable jury verdict, hey, that was a big win for us. Well, when you step back and think about what we're supposed to be doing in the courtroom and about the fact that we're supposed to be seeking not convictions but justice, that's probably not the best to characterize the outcome of a case that's particularly favorable. It's reducing it to a sporting event or a gladiatorial contest, and it gives the impression that the prosecutor saying, hey, that was a big win, is elevating him or herself above the reason why they're in court, which is to seek justice. So even self-examining your own speech and the way you express yourself, I think is important because we are held to that higher standard and because we are fighting this perception that the prosecutor will want to win at all costs. It was a great article that we were talking about in this week's Law Journal. I think it was updated on December 13th, and it was reporting some comments by Chief Judge Colleen McMahon, who's the CJ in the Southern District of New York, and she was talking about some of the sexual harassment situations that have found their way into the public discussion. And when she was talking about good judgment and putting ourselves in circumstances, she was talking about the so-called Graham rule, and that's the Billy Graham rule, and that is for a man never to put himself in a one-on-one -on -one social situation with a woman. And she adopted 
the so-called Lyman rule, which was after Arthur Lyman, who was a pretty distinguished attorney in New York, who she worked for years ago. And essentially, the Lyman rule was don't do anything, write anything, or say anything, or act in a way that if it found its way onto the front page of the New York Times the next day would embarrass your mother. She felt that this was a rule that maybe would well serve all of us, and I think we can apply that to some of the points that Mike was making about texting, saying things on social media, that if your mother's going to be embarrassed if she saw it, or your boss might be embarrassed or upset about the way you saw it, you should uh, sort of invoke that 24-hour rule and not uh, send that out right away because it could conceivably put you in a much disadvantaged position later on down the pike. I know that we're probably running out of time, but can I talk a little bit about responsibility of supervisory lawyers and their subordinate staff and non-attorneys in the office? Yes, yes, go ahead. I'll take a piece of that and maybe ask Mike to follow up, is that under 5.1 of the Rules of Professional Conduct, there are responsibilities that lawyers have as managers. And although we don't necessarily think of ourselves, that is to say supervisors as managers in the district attorney's office, nevertheless, 5.1 does create some standards and obligations that supervisors have with respect to their subordinate legal staff. I'm sorry, 5.2 that should be, under 5.2. And Mike, you were sharing with us before we went live some other responsibilities that supervisory lawyers have. Could you share that with us? Under Rule 5.3, you also have similar ethical duty to properly supervise and ensure proper conduct from non-lawyer staff. That would be from support staff, from investigators, from all the non-lawyer personnel that you are partnered with and that you rely on every day in your office. And Rule 5.3 places that obligation on prosecutors. And and really, when you're in a supervisory role, you are working hand-in-hand with the corner office, with your elected DA, and it falls to you as a group, as a management group, to set the tone and both promote and defend the philosophy of practice in your office. And part of those duties are to adequately train staff, but also to repeatedly emphasize the primacy of ethics and the importance of all members of the office conducting themselves in a way that is consistent with the importance of the mission of your office. All right. Well, thank you. I think that that is unfortunately all we have time for today, but I think that that's a good synopsis of some things to watch out for and some general philosophies to think about for all offices and all of the members of those offices. So thank you, Tim and Mike, for speaking with us today. You're welcome, Hannah. You're welcome. 